Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay. Welcome back to From the Ashes. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay, and I'm sitting here with Maureen ross We, the founder and owner of Emerge Leadership Academy. Maureen, welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. Thanks a lot for having me. And today we're going to talk about a topic that is near and dear, I think, to both our hearts, finding your inner leader, right? Doing that deep internal work in order to become the best leader possible. You know, there's so much that you can find in, you know, reading books, taking courses, so much that technical skill. But I found, and I'm curious what you think, that so much of it is emotional. Oh, for sure. If you're not willing to really go within and do that self-reflection and emotional work, it's really hard for you to always be there for others and have emotional intelligence, right? With other people. Yeah. The soft skills are really what is key, especially now when we're looking at, you know, COVID numbers skyrocketing, we're looking at the great resignation, you know, the leaders that are able to, you know, one, be in their own integrity and two, inspire their teams are the ones that are keeping their employees. Oh, for sure. Everybody is leaving because of a lot of them are anyways, because of toxic environments and because of managers that they that don't care about them. You really do need to care about people nowadays to keep them on your staff. Crazy. There's a lot of ways to do that, right? I mean, <laughs> hello. Who would have thought? Yeah, people like being cared about. It's, it's wild. Um, yeah, but it's harder for some personality types than others, right? Because they just think that the tasks and the business are the most important. So it really is a culture shift that's needed in a lot of ways. Yeah, I can't agree more. And we'll be diving into that as we get later into the show, because what stood out about me and what we do on the show is we talk about the personal story. And you have been in recovery for a long time. Um, you run a podcast on recovery stories. Uh, I was a guest on there a while back. And I love people that, you know, walk the walk. So without further ado, can you tell people about your From the Ashes story? What got yes, you interested I in will. doing this type of work? And, you know, even though I just want to mention that though we recorded your episode a while back, your episode is going to be up next week and, you know, next week for on my show. So that's, it's coming. It's just happens to coincide with this one, which is kind of funny, but. Oh, cool. Yeah. It'd be good back to back. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So I will uh, share a little bit about my story. I'm actually coming up on 20, no, excuse me, <laughs> 37 years of sobriety on February 3rd, 1985. That's when oh, I yeah. first got sober. So that is a lifetime. And I have been able to create an amazing life for myself because of, um, well, really because of the depths of hell I allowed myself, or I, I didn't allow myself. I so it sort of felt forced to walk through when I didn't know that I had a choice. And when I was a victim, when I thought everything was happening to me and all I wanted to do was escape my pain. But I grew up in a pretty, um, a pretty, you know, normal Irish Catholic family. My mom and dad had six kids in like eight and a half years. <laughs> and normal, <laughs> true Irish Catholic, right? Yeah. And so 
uh, as I was growing up, it was good. We, we, you know, loving parents, uh, lots of cousins and, and extended family to rely on, but a series of events occurred in my early teens. Like when, for, for example, when I was 12, our house burnt down and it was a very traumatic thing for my family. And a lot of us were separated for like two or three weeks, uh, you know, farmed out to different families and staying in different places. And, and I realized in retrospect that it was probably because my dad fell asleep with a cigarette on the couch or something like that occurred. He had third degree burns on his hands and his feet Ah. and the couch, it was the couch that caught on fire. Of course, the story they told, us was the spark from the electrical outlet or something like that. But you know what? Sparks don't come from electrical outlets when they're just plugged into a TV, you know? Anyways, the long and the short of it is um, I was babysitting next door. The house burnt down. It was a very traumatic thing. I was 12 years old then. And that when I came back into school at that time, suddenly I was like, Miss Popular right? I was the kid whose house burnt down and everybody like wanted me on their team suddenly. And everybody, it was a really shift, uh, a huge shift in my social status for some reason. And of course, then I turned, as I was 11, then I turned 12 that summer. And that's when I was introduced to quote, the cool kids, right? And they were all drinking and drugging and, or at least, you know, we started experimenting with all of that. And I will tell you that by the time, Mark, I was 15, I was a full-blown drug addict and alcoholic. Yeah, it happens fast. Right? So I'll just briefly share a little bit about my, my time, but it was during my high school, very first day of high school, I skipped. I was afraid I had too much anxiety to go in. I just got high all day. And then I did go to school. But in that 180 something day school year, I skipped 62 days of class. (laughs) I spent the whole first week of my junior year of school in detentions, making up for all the detentions I had missed in the previous year before they would give me my schedule. And they I had skipped a whole bunch of more days again in my junior year. So it was really hard. And they wanted to do the same thing in my senior year. But I went, I remember doing that first day of detention and I walked down to the principal's office at the end of the day. And I said, if you don't give me my schedule, I walk, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I was arrogant. I barely ever wore shoes. Of course, I live in Connecticut, so I had to during the colder months, but honestly, I was, um, I was out there. I, you know, was one of those uh, hippies. Okay. If you, if you will, a leftover hippie uh, from that era in 74, I was 14 years old in 75, I was 15. And I'll tell you, it was just a really, really arrogant time for me. I couldn't stand authority figures. I didn't want anything to do with anyone telling me what to do. Thank God. I say in retrospect that we didn't have cell phones back then because (laughs) I would have had to been accountable for where I was and what I was doing. And I didn't want to do that. So I really did hang out with people that were a lot older than me, because that's who could get me the, the drugs and the pills and the, you know, and the booze that I needed and wanted. Um, I didn't go to my senior prom. I didn't go to my junior prom. You know, I didn't do any of that, that school stuff. Although I was, I was, I had a strong work ethic in some sense, because I did 
have work and I did work full time. I didn't want to go to college right away. So I did get a full time job after high school and I started working and I moved in. I moved out of my house and moved in with a boyfriend I lived with for about two and a half years who had lost his leg in a motorcycle accident. And, you know, and he and I just drank every night at this little bar downtown and shot darts and played pool and that sort of thing. And, and that was my lifestyle. And I worked full time and just then lived with him. And when that relationship was over and I left him, uh, I had a lot of rude awakenings when I was like 21. Uh, of course, the drinking age was 18 back when I was younger. So anyways, um, but as my relationships progressed, they got worse as my you know, the same thing kept happening in my companies and I was getting, you know, bad feedback here and there because it was all the same patterns happening over and over everywhere mm -hmm. I went. So I finally decided it was Connecticut that sucked so bad. So <laughs> <laughs> you figured it out. <laughs> Hello, it's yeah. this place, you know, it's this place. Yeah. What was the common denominator? Oh, everything's in Connecticut. There it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> Solved. Yeah. Damn it. So I took the geographical cure and I moved to Texas and it was beautiful there. And you didn't have to scrape your windshield every morning. And, you know, um, and I got a job as a teller in a bank and I had a really good responsible job. And I got a part-time job in a bar at night because I needed to support my habit. I lived alone. I got a car right away. And I'll tell you within a year, I had created all the same shit that I had created back in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and there was a, a, again, a series of events that occurred that brought me to my knees that made me feel like I hated myself. I did so much that I was ashamed of and had regret for. And I, it was just a really, really bad time. And, and I'm a super emotional being, like I'm kind of an empath kind of a person. And I wanted so much to be loved, to be, you know, to have, so I was always chasing it in the guy or the boss or the best, you know, the job and looking outside myself for that kind of happiness that I so desperately wanted. And I wasn't finding it. Right. So I finally decided, um, well, again, the series of events, I won't go into the nitty gritty, but it got bad. I was fired from a job. I got another job, you know, and then I was a manager at this wholesale picture frame supply company. I had gotten transferred from San Antonio to Austin. So I had been in San Antonio for two years and then I moved to Austin and I had been there with my boyfriend that had moved with me because, of course, I was going out with the manager. Of course. Yep. Track. <laughs> That's what we do. Yep. And then they sent him after we got to Austin, they sent him to Phoenix and suddenly they promoted me to manager. I had like six men working underneath me. I'm 24 years old. I'm the only woman. I'm the only white woman, right? Mm -hmm. They're all like, um, uh, Mexican. I think mm -hmm. most, most, of my employees were, and I did not know how to manage people. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So anyways, it helped me to really see, and I didn't have anybody to drink with because I was, didn't know anybody in Austin. Right. So I would drive down to San Antonio on the weekends. And then I started drinking alone during the week. Um, and, and, and again, a series of events happened really bad 
episodes of drunkenness where I would wake up at 11 o'clock, like on a Monday morning and say, oh crap, I'm supposed to be in Austin, 90 miles away, working, opening up the store. You know, it was mm-hmm. not good. Yeah. Yeah. Losing so, a lot of time. Right. So I finally did reach out. Um, I had started going to Al-Anon, believe it or not. And then I did go to, um, I talked to this woman there and I said, I think I'm an alcoholic. And she said, you should talk to my husband who is. So I talked to him and he shared his story and I shared mine. And it was the first time I had ever heard my story because I had said it out loud that I had never been more than like two or three days without a drink since I was 13 years old. Mm -hmm. And that was only because I was on medication. Right. And I looked at my patterns and I looked at my, um, my feelings and how horrible and how much I hated myself and what I wanted to be different and how I knew, I knew I had more potential, but I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. So I started reading this book, think and grow rich. Cause then I thought, well, I know it's because I don't have any money. That's my problem. <laughs> <laughs> but that book is really all about how do you think? Mm-hmm. How are you thinking? And I realized how negative I was thinking and the old patterns. And I started to look at myself, but I couldn't change anything until I gave up the habit. So I started going to the 12 step program and I got myself into the rooms and I got myself a sponsor and I worked the steps. And after about 90 days of sobriety, I, I finally got to a point where I felt like I felt like I'm, I don't have the desire to drink anymore. And that was really the second miracle. The first miracle is that I admitted I was powerless over alcohol um, and that I could and would take and accept help. I needed it and I wanted it. So anyways, so many, many miracles have happened since then. Another big miracle happened when I was about 10 months sober, when I really had a significant spiritual experience and realized that I was not, um, not responsible for everything. So in other words, mm-hmm. I met my higher power yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was not outside of me. It was within me. And it, it's an interesting thing because about surrender, right? When you finally surrender, that's when you have all the power that you need. But I really realized um, that my heart and my head were really almost like two different parts of myself. And they spoke to me in two different ways. And that my heart was connected to my higher power. And that I realized that um, I had a spark of divinity within me. I was connected to that that piece of divinity that was in me. And then I started turning my life and my will over to uh, more of just not the God up in the sky that I had learned about in church, but it was much more of a energy. Now it was a flow. It was a source of love. It was that love energy. So that was really good for me. And I know that, um, that it really helped me to turn my life around. But I've, so I've been on this personal growth path ever since. And I, and I moved back to Connecticut about, um, well, about a year, a year and a half sober. And I met my husband about two months after I moved back home. I didn't know he was going to be my husband then, but boy, what an exciting time it was. Cause I thought, I didn't know how I was going to survive in Connecticut because, you know, God was in those people in Texas. He, I didn't know he was going to be in the ones in 
<laughs> you know, fear stops us and tells us all yeah. kinds of stupid things. But yeah, yeah, he was there. And I, or, you know, I just say he, because that's how I was raised, but I don't really think it's a he. In any case, um, I've learned so many tools and I've been in a community, a 12-step community, and I'm just really delighted now that we're finally getting away from this whole anonymity thing. I think it was really important for the, you know, being in the program back in the 40s and 50s and 60s and maybe even more. And and I I agree that it's okay that um, some people want to stick that way, but I don't. I think now with the opioid crisis, we need to really start speaking up. And that's why I want to get my message out there that so many skills that we learn in recovery, we use as in leadership. And the best leadership skills are all of the stuff that we learn in recovery, the stuff we just talked about in the very beginning. And I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing more about that, um, you know, as we move forward. Yeah, what a fantastic story. I love hearing that because the way you tell your story, it's very true to life, which I think people need to hear, right? This idea that it's not this magical thing, right? Your story is ups and downs and this idea of being, you know, confused and deluded and moving back and forth and trying out different things because to me, that's what recovery looks like. You know, it, oh, it, it certainly does. That's what life looks like. Right. It's just nothing but, but a bumpy road, right? I mean, bumpy road towards toward recovery. And, you know, we'll get into it in our next, next segment here as a wrapping up this one, but I do a hundred percent agree. I am a big advocate that 12 step work can be done by anybody, right? Whether you're in recovery yes. or not, it's a really great prescription to just, you know, become a better person really, Indeed. you know, and get more life skills, get better at communicating and face, you know, hard truths and blind spots. I think it does a phenomenal job of in many ways holding, you know, our, our nose to the fire to make that happen. Cause the truth is we all need to start waking up and seeing that we are not victims of this life. We are little gods, like godding. <laughs> we need to, to have our power and help other people define theirs. That's fantastic. That's a great, that's a great quote. We'll put that on the, uh, on the tagline. <laughs> that's oh, wonderful. <laughs> um, little gods godding. So thank you all for tuning in. Uh, we're going to go through a quick commercial break, and we'll catch you on the other side with more from Maureen. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit Mark 
mark-azoulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C, dash Azoulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, dot teachable.com. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Our thoughts and feelings not only affect our own lives, but the lives of everyone around us. Find new meanings of love, authentic expressions, and better connections with the people in your life. Tune in to Love Light with Dr. Jean Marie Farish. This program will feature guests and discuss ideas that will bring a better life to you. When you find this perspective on love, it will change everything. Listen live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back. I'm sitting here with Maureen ross Jam, and we're talking about learning from recovery and how it helped us become better leaders. So I'm curious, Maureen, what lessons did you learn during your recovery process that help you being a leader yourself, doing some of the coaching and training and speaking that you do? What are some of those things that carried over? Well, I, I, I guess what pops in my head is this story that I wanted to tell you that really brought it right up into my face. And that's the fact that, you know, I did have a 27, uh, 30 year kind of corporate career and, uh, you know, I raised a family and I did all the things that, you know, we do in life and recovery. And then I got into, I started my own business um, called Emerge Leadership Academy. And I got into uh, really look, helping leaders and training. And I taught them, I was teaching them. And one of the exercises that we did was we would, I would put a couple of flip charts on the wall and break them into groups and say, okay, you guys over here, think of the worst boss you ever had. And tell me all the things that were so bad about that boss. And over here, what you you got the best boss. Think of the best boss you ever had. What were their traits and characteristics? And every time I saw that list of the best boss and all the things that go on that list, and you know, we all know, and I'm sure all the listeners know what is their best boss. And the list of things on there are like friendly, approachable, empathetic, good listener coach, they coach me, they, they give feedback, they care about me. And I, and I was, I was looking up and, and then of course there's integrity and honesty and self-reflective and, you know, they admit when they make mistakes. And I said, damn, this is a list of all the things that we get when we work on ourselves in recovery. Mm -hmm. This is, 
and the worst boss, that's how we were <laughs> before in, in the beforehand. We were selfish, arrogant, and, you know, really we, a lot of us anyways, had this <clears throat> superiority, inferiority kind of complex where we think we're better than, and we are so judgmental. And then when we look deeper, we realize, and, and we do that, right? When we're working the steps and when we're in recovery, we realize, oh my gosh, you know, you know, we learn humility, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So anyways, those are some of the things that I've, I learned right from the beginning that I am not the center of the universe and any two-year-old child will let you know that. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. That, that humility was such a big piece for me. I mean, I resonate completely with the arrogance and the, and the shame piece or the superiority and the inferiority. When I was a kid, I, or a young adult, I really thought I was superior being. I thought that I was smarter than everybody. I thought that I was, you know, more clever. I thought that I had life figured out. And I thought everyone else was just like a, a sleeping zombie, right? That they were just moving through life. And that I was the one that was awake and alive. And, <laughs> you know, no one knew what, what was going on. Um, but of course, that was coupled with deep shame. And, and I think it's really interesting yeah. how both those relate at the same time, right? Like in my quieter moments, I had a lot of self-hatred. I hated, you know, the impact I was having on my friends and loved ones. I hated my body. I hated, you know, that I didn't have a girlfriend. I hated that I thought I was a nerd. Like I had all this stuff that would I just beat myself up with every night and then put on the armor of grandiosity. What do you, what do you think that's about? Well, you know what? I think it is because I totally relate, Mark. And and for me, it was, when I became awakened after getting all the alcohol and drugs out of my system, I I realized like I'm human. OMG. I don't want to be human. I don't want to have to feel this pain. I don't want to look at my character defects. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, when I went call the ambulance, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that pain that we're not perfect, that I have to deal with my dark side, that I have to accept that blah, 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 whatever it is, my body or my fat thighs or my, you know, the, the flaws that I think are important, they are not important. It's just what our ego, right. Focuses on, um, when it wants to keep us small, when it wants to keep us down and that negative voice inside that internal critic, oh, geez, you know, to me, that's, that's the hardest part of being human. And I just, once you can really accept and really understand that you we're just human beings doing the best we can with what we got, then it's easier to forgive and it's easier to forgive ourselves and to forgive others, right? And to actually get to that place of acceptance, which really is the answer to all of our problems, isn't it? Absolutely, right? I mean, so easy to get out of our own head and truly connect with other people. Right. From the heart. Right. And so that's why they say you should relate instead of try to compare because comparing just gets you into resentment, jealousy, envy, you know, those kinds of feelings that aren't good at all. But when we, when we relate, oh, what about that moves me or you know, how do I think I might be able to help if I can, because you don't have to try to fix or change anybody, but there are a lot of ways as leaders that we can help other people. 
Yeah. I mean, that right there was a big thing I got out of my time in AA, my recovery journey, and then actually later in group therapy as well, of being able to speak as honestly as possible about other people's impact on me, even if it was, you know, negative or shameful or whatever, but to be able to have a conversation and tell someone, hey, what you said, I felt really afraid when you said that, right? Or I felt really touched or really moved, or I felt really concerned and not having any agenda there, but actually tapping into how I'm truly impacting another and how they're truly impacting me. Those have been some of those powerful, most powerful conversations I've had in my entire life because they're, oh. they're honest. They're, they're true, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I totally get it because that's what we get in the, when we go to meetings or when mm -hmm. we go to the group therapy, because what we're really seeing, I think, is that two things for me, what I learned from group therapy, group kind of group programs is that I'm not alone and that your stuff might trigger my stuff, but it gives me an opportunity to see, or, and, you know, and obviously other people that have already been through it. And then you have hope that you can go through it too. And, and all those things, but it also makes me realize that I have no right to judge anybody else because I have no idea what you've been through. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to extend that thought kind of based on your, you know, divine spiritual slant is something that was really spiritual to me is that there's a little bit of me and everybody and there's a little bit of everybody and me because we're kind oh of God. all the same thing, right? So when you see someone talking to be like, oh my God, I, I remember when I was stuck in that. Like I remember like night and day when that was how my mind worked. And yep. I can see a little glimmer of myself in almost everybody now that that speaks. And that is, for me, that's a truly transformative experience. I don't, I don't know if you've had anything similar. In yeah, your because life. when you suffer, when you know, and you've been through suffering, you know, when somebody else is going through it, you can, that's why, how we can empathize because we've been through so much and we've seen the other side. But I will share with you this, this, um, this, that story that I was telling you early in my story, it happened at about 10 months sober. And I was reading this poetry from uh, Khalil Gibran, the prophet. Mm -hmm. And I have to read it out loud because I'm an audio learner and, and poetry is difficult for me. So I'm just reading it so I can hear the words. And it said something like, you know, when he is ready for you to see, he'll remove the veil from your eyes and the cotton from your ears or something like this. You know, he'll, he'll, it's all let go, you know, like mm -hmm. don't stop judging yourself. And I got into this place of real self-acceptance and I started to weep, but of course I'm new. I don't really know. Why am I crying? Like, why, why am I, you know, I didn't understand what being moved was even then i'm like am i happy what is this weird feeling what's am going on yeah. right? like what the heck am i feeling so i got down on my knees by the bed and i just started talking to god and i realized that i just can't, i was self-acceptance i was accepting myself or i was allowing i was feeling for the first time ever like i was allowing god's love to come through does that make sense mm -hmm. and i felt this love all the way, like permeating through my body. And in fact, it was in the rooms. I could feel it palpably. I could feel it all like pushing against the walls and even extending outward. And I was like, where is this coming from? Like I'm looking for the burning bush kind of thing. And I realized, oh my God, it's coming from me. And every time I share that story, I feel this, you know, this like feeling of, of wonder and amazement. 
And that's why I believe that we're all little gods godding. Like we have this divinity within us that is capable of so much more than our little minds think. And because you have your spark and everybody else has their spark, they might not be aware of it or they might be, but I think we're all just aspects like a diamond has many facets that we're all just little pieces of God down here blooming and blossoming into, into the divine people that we are here to, to be and the next best version of ourselves. And so that's, you know, the good news is you just never really get it until you're ready to ascend. And I'm probably not going to ascend in this lifetime, but <laughs> you never know, I suppose, but, but it really makes life so much more enjoyable when you start realizing that I don't have to hurt or lash out at anybody else because they're just another part of me. Yeah. That's an incredibly moving story. I really liked hearing that. I haven't had an experience to that extent, but I, I hope one day too, you know, but that idea of that, that unity and that overarching love is, is quite, it's incredible. You know, you know, yeah. it, it reminds me, I've listened to a fair amount of Alan Watts. You're probably familiar with him. Um, and he talks he about psychologist. He's like a philosopher that, that okay. interprets like religious texts and uh, yes. a lot of Buddhist and Eastern thought as well. And his whole stick, I mean, it's a lot of stuff. But one thing he says is that, you know, we're all divinity or we're all God playing hide and seek with ourselves. Right. That we're just kind of like, you know, playing peekaboo, right? Coming in, coming out, flickering in, <laughs> flickering out, but yeah. all trying to see each other. And it's it's so it's just whimsical to think about reality in that way. Well, I know because unfortunately, too much of the media and social media is focused on negativity. It's focused on what's wrong with the world. And there's a lot of people who don't aren't looking within, they're just looking without, and they're disillusioned, and they're sad, and they're suffering. And we're, you know, we're still killing people on this planet. Like a lot of people are getting killed all the time. It doesn't make sense to me. But I, I kind of think of it as we have, um, we have a lot of time to work on ourselves if that we put that as a priority, which is why I focus on leaders, right? Because I'm really hoping that more leaders will wake up. They have the platform. They have people that they can really help. Maybe it's the people that directly report to them. Maybe it's the people in their community. Maybe it's the people, you know, as a sponsor and a sponsee and a 12-step kind of program, but there's so many ways as a coach, as a therapist, you know, you know how awesome it is to help other people, but it, there's so many people still sleeping and focusing on all that crap that's happening outside. And it's just not real. It's not real. 100%, right. It's not real. And it just like plugs right into the, you know, lizard brain yeah. and generates views and generates income and, and fear and fear. You know, I want to talk to you a little bit about your work, and we'll definitely drill into that in the next, you know, final segment. But I'm curious for you, when you do meet with a leadership team or an executive team, whatever it is, how do you know when someone's ready? And how do you know when someone's ready to do this type of work? Because I think we're both testaments to the fact that it's very powerful, but it's the hardest thing we've ever done. It's the hardest thing I've, I've ever done in my entire life. Well, I kind of look at it this way. The people that know, and they're ready to do the deep work, they just come to me and we work one-on-one, -on -one. but I plant seeds. That's what I think of when I go to these leadership teams, I plant seeds and that's, I, I've just 
decided that's sort of like my role because sometimes I don't get to work with them anymore after just a couple of classes. But when you get a group of people together, there's a norm, a group norm that sort of happens, right? People sort of fall into their role in whatever, you know, the group that they're in. So nobody, well, they, and they want to aspire to be better people in front of like their peers and also right. in front of their boss, right? That's the ego again. Yeah. Right. It is, but it also is wonderful because people become much more open-minded at that point when they're in that kind of a learning experience and they do take a lot more in. So when they're at the flip chart and they're writing down the list of their best boss, nobody's sitting there saying, oh yeah, well, I'm over here on this other chart, but I've had other people come up to me and say, oh man, I wish my boss was in here right now. They need to see this. They're over there, you know, and that sort of thing. So we recognize it. And the more we sort of put our, I think the message out there that we need to look at ourselves, um, the better, the better it will be, but not all businesses will invest in their people in that way. Yeah, 100%. And I think we're talking earlier, and I'm curious your thoughts on this. I, I personally think that that it will be a deciding factor in the next 10, 20 years as well businesses stick around while businesses die. I agree. Because you know, millennials, I mean, I think we're known for being emotional, but the next generation is even more and they need that even more than we did. And we really need a lot, you know, but the millennials are in the positions to start developing this now. And they yeah. are the largest generation ever. They, you are going to change the world. There's no doubt in my mind that the world is already being changed because of millennials. If we could just get you now into government, that would be really good. <laughs> we're trying. We're trying. That's a, that's an old institution. That's a tough one over there. Indeed it is. But you know what? It can be changed. It can be changed. Everything can be changed. That's right. That's right. Everything can be changed <laughs> as it grows and evolves. So we're going to move into our final commercial break here. Uh, when we come back, you want to share a little bit about the different personality types that uh, people exhibit, that leaders exhibit. It would be a great takeaway for those listeners. Um, if you are wondering, hey, where, where do I fall on the spectrum of different people? So uh, stay tuned and we'll catch you on the other side of the break. us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit Mark. 
mark-azoulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C, dash Azoulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, dot teachable.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Are you ready to move to your next level? Listen for Empowering Women, Transforming Lives with host Rebecca Hall Greider. Each show will focus on a central topic with discussion, guests, and your questions being featured. Our show is perfect for women who feel a call in their heart to step out in a bigger, more powerful way in their life and just need some encouragement, inspiration, and practical steps to support them on their journey. Empowering Women, Transforming Lives can be heard live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel with a replay of the show Sunday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back. I'm really excited about this uh, final segment because I was just told that I would get my personality type uh, analyzed and understood. <laughs> so Maureen, uh, can you walk us through the everything disc personality types? Yes, thanks. Um, this is the model that I bring into my classroom training when I'm working with leadership teams or, or anybody, even if you're not in leadership, uh, it's a really good idea for you to understand deeper your personality. So what I'm going to do, Mark, is just I'll go through the four DISC types and D-I-S-C and how what each one stands for. And I want you to kind of self-identify and then we'll talk about your personality specifically. And then we'll get into I'll tell you the <clears throat> while we're doing that, I'll tell you the two questions so that you can type other people and everybody will want to know how to do that, too, because we all have significant others and bosses and maybe people that work for us. But in the meantime, um, it's really fun because it helps you to get to bridge the relationship gaps, you know, wherever you need to. All right. So the DISC, the D stands for dominance. Now the folks that are the dominant type personality types, we all know them, right? <laughs> They're very driven. They are high achievers. They're very direct and firm-minded. They also are strong-willed. They want what they want when they want it kind of thing. They can be forceful at times and they're super results-oriented. So in the in the workplace, they're going to be like the director types that bark out orders sometimes, don't ask you how you're doing. They don't want you to waste their time. They're busy, busy, busy. Sometimes 
They cut corners because they want to get to the goal as fast as they possibly can. But <clears throat> they're also very um, focused on getting those results for the business. They're more task focused and they're, they're not afraid to speak their mind. They're not afraid to push back. They love a good challenge. Okay. All right. So that's the D. So um, I want your li listeners to be thinking about it. We're going to be little bits of all of these parts. We have everything within us, but what is your pri priority predominant sort of style that you naturally fall into the most, or what would other people say about you or what feedback you've gotten, then you'll know um, when you hit it. Some people might be clearly in between two styles. And so that's okay to sort of claim two of them, if you will, as we go through this, but you'll, you'll see yourself in here. Okay. The next one is the I, the I stands for influence. Now, this doesn't mean just influencer, but the influencer like on social media and stuff, they do sometimes have a lot of these qualities. They are outgoing people, the eyes, they are enthusiastic, super optimistic, right? If you ever see people thinking about they're throwing rose petals, they, they have wear pink rose colored glasses all the time, that sort of thing, that these are the, those people, high spirited, very lively. They love collaboration. They like working with people and they're also high active. They're very action and results oriented as well. They move towards goals uh, quickly and they get people involved, but this is, they're more on the people side of the, the team, as opposed to just getting the task done and they want to have a good time. Okay. The third type I'm going to talk about is the S the S stands for steadiness. Now the steadiness folks are also people oriented. They love working with people. They also like collaboration, but they're much quieter. They are your resource people. They are patient and tactful and humble. They are um, even tempered, right? They're, they're, when you think of the duck floating across the pond that looks so serene and underneath their, their feet are paddling like a mile a minute, um, those are your S's. They're super good resource people. They get shit done, um, but they're also accommodating, sometimes over accommodating, and people can take advantage of them because they do not like to say no. They always say yes. And then sometimes priorities get out of whack. So, <laughs> because, you know, whoever has the loudest mouth sometimes gets, you know, gets them helping them, but the S's are super loyal and very, again, patient people. Okay. Now the last one, but definitely not the least, but the C stands for the conscientiousness style, the conscientiousness style. These are your folks that are really focused on systems and processes and they're analytical. They're much more reserved. They're not near as emotional, right? As your I's and your S's, but they're more uh, private. They're very private people. They're systematic in nature, precision, accuracy, and quality conscience. Con conscious. And so these are your like engineering professor types or project management types that keep all the ducks in a row and make sure everything's right. 
double and triple check it two or three times before it goes out. Um, sometimes too perfect, you know, too much of perfectionistic, but most of the time um, they're, they're, they can be experts in their fields as well, right? So that's the four different styles. And again, you might fall right between the D and the C or the C and the S uh, is very, very possible. So Mark, where do you think you fit into that model? Yeah, that's a great model. I think I'm mostly S, I'm mostly steadiness. Um, but I have some C in me because as you were talking, whenever I feel overwhelmed or I feel like I need to do something, my first mind is like, how do I make a process for this? How do I systematize this? How do I make a list? How do I like make this airtight and, you know, foolproof? So that's where my mind goes. But I think, you know, the steadiness I'm there, I'm definitely very helpful, very resourcing. I've worked in the past around, you know, being able to say no. So when you talked about not being able to say no, I'm like, for sure, that's me. That's what I've been trying. Like, I literally have systems to help myself say no, right? So I, I, like, like I, I've went to the C to pull to help to work with the S, I guess. Um, yeah. But I think I'm there. You know, I think I'm much more, I'm very patient, much more listening, very loyal, just like always consistent is something that I definitely pride myself on. Right. So if you know this about yourself, then most likely I'm going to just, um, you know, stretch a little bit here to say that the person that might be hardest for the S type to work with would be the D. Mm -hmm. Here's your dominance, direct, firm. They don't, and they're not very kind sometimes with how they dish out their demands. And, you know, so it's, it's really hard sometimes for a person who's an S to work for a D boss or to speak up for themselves when they need to, right. To stand their ground and say, okay, well, I'm happy to do that for you, but do you want me to prioritize it? Or like, help me with the list because I can't do everything. <laughs> and so there's, there's a communication that needs to happen, but that's just one way why you would want to know what type you are, because the opposite of your type is usually going to be the person that pushes your buttons the most and that um, can feel like very difficult to work with because they have very different priorities. But when you see that that person who has the different priorities are not as um, they it's just their type. It's just their lens that they're looking through. It's just their priorities. And so then you don't have to take it personally. All right. But my guess is you're a CS or a SC, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, and so let's just say you're an SC. My husband's an SC. Both three of my current clients are SCs. <laughs> I love SCs. I attract them. I have a lot of SCs in my life, but I am a strong eye uh, right mm -hmm. in the middle. But I also know that how to blend my style to be like, for example, my opposite is the C, the conscientiousness type. And so in the olden days, when I was working like on project management teams, and I'm like, I'm the education lead and the communication lead on the project. And there would be other people that were subject matter experts, they're C's, right? And I'm, I'm getting the educational plan done. And I'm like getting everybody to collaborate. And I'm pulling all the information in Well, I had to learn to be concise. I had to learn to be all of that precise because it's just so important. Okay. So here's the two questions. Then you can, if you want to write this down, or maybe people can replay it if they, if it's too going too fast, but is the person that you want to type, are they fast paced and outgoing or cautious and reflective? Your D's and your I's are fast paced and outgoing. 
mm-hmm. most of the time. And your C's and S's are cautious and reflective. So that would be you. Mm-hmm. And then you want to ask the second question, are they more um, friendly and warm or skeptical and questioning? So questioning and skeptical are the D's and the C's and the warm and accepting are the I's and the S's. All right. So that's how you can figure it out. If they're questioning and skeptical and fast-paced and outgoing, they're a D. If they're warm and accepting and fast-paced and outgoing, they're an I. If they're cautious and reflective and warm and accepting, they're an S. If they're questioning and skeptical and um, what's the other one? Cautious and reflective, they're a C. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> super that's easy. That's great. Yeah, it just puts in these nice little quadrants there. Yeah. 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 That's fantastic. I mean, that I think that hits the nail on the head. I can see how useful that can be in a workplace environment to know, I mean, either to create teams that are compatible, right? Or to let people have some empathy, right? I mean, one of the yes. big things, you know, back to recovery that I had to learn, I still learn is like, not everybody thinks like me, right? Oh, no. Like, because yeah. each of the different mindsets, each of the different types have different mindsets for mm-hmm. their own emotional intelligence. And so I do an emotional intelligence class too. And if your listeners want to know what type they are, they can take a short quiz. It's not the full assessment, obviously, but you can take a short quiz on my website, emergeleadershipacademy.com. And the quiz is on the first page. You could take it. And if you're a D, you'll turn out to be a wolf. What the question, the quiz is what animal best represents your leadership style? Mm -hmm. So the D is the wolf. They're always doing it for the betterment of the pack, but they're going to go after what they want. The I is the dolphin, very chatty, friendly, <laughs> all that. The the S is the St. Bernard because they're loyal and they're going to come to your rescue and they're never going to leave you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although in my world, they're going to bring green tea, not brandy, and their yeah. little pouch. <laughs> <laughs> and then the C is the beaver leader because they create a beautiful system and environment that's with precision and beauty for the, the whole team. Yeah. So that's how um, you can find out in a quick way what what style you are. That's great. That's a great takeaway for our listeners. Um, so as we're wrapping up here, you already did briefly mention the website, but where else can people find you online and, and what do you offer out there in the world? Well, I do leadership training. And so I do come in, I can do virtual or you know in person, right? Um, and you'll find all that information on Emerge Leadership Academy. If you want to reach out to me, directly, you can reach me on LinkedIn anytime. I'm on the other media platforms, but LinkedIn is the best. I also am an author of the book called Emerge, Seven Steps to Transformation, No Matter What Life Throws at You. And you can find that on Amazon. And please, please listen to my podcast, Emerge, Evolve, Lead. It's for people in recovery who want to step into leadership and become their full potential. Fantastic. I really love hearing what you're doing. I love the diversity. I love that you're out there in the world spreading the message. Maureen, it's been fantastic uh, being with you uh, for this hour, and I hope our listeners took something away from our conversation. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in for another episode of From the Ashes, and we will see you next week on Voice America. Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. 
Meet Triumph and Defeat and treat those two imposters the same.